And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Welcome, everyone. Helps to turn on the microphone. Thank you very much for being here. It is the 23rd of March. Jason Hunt here in the studio. We are live from the bunker. And as we always do, we're broadcasting live on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook. The comments are open, chat's open. You can send us an email. You can connect with us on all the socials. Sign up for our newsletter because we have a newsletter. And if you prefer podcasting as opposed to watching the video somewhere, if you've got other things you want to do, you want to just listen along as you do other chores, we're on all the podcast players, iHeartRadio, Pocket Cast, Amazon Music, Spotify, Double Twist, uh, Apple, TuneIn, Stitcher, Listen Notes. So there is that. Speaking of the Twitch channel, we're trying to get up to 100 followers there so we can restart our watch parties because we're going to start that again. You've got to have an Amazon Prime account, but you can watch along with us. We want to get up to 100 followers before we start that up again. So twitch.tv slash sci-fi for me. And you can get in on that action. And last night, we were uh, talking about the Snyder Cut over on H2O. Something I forgot to mention uh, that we did not talk about last night. J.K. Simmons as Commissioner Gordon. It's a shame we're not going to see any more of that. That would have been nice to see. All right. So today, we're talking indie comics and most of the time when you talk about comic books we're talking about marvel we're talking about dc image boom and all of those and of course marvel's out of new york dc's in burbank and we've got uh antarctic press down in texas and i think boom studios is up in oregon uh not too many people ever talk about comic books when it comes to pittsburgh but we're going to talk about comic books in Pittsburgh today, and joining us uh, to talk about their projects, uh, you've probably seen him in chat. Heroinberg is the handle. Welcome, sir. Hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Uh, welcome to Pittsburgh, the hometown of Killer Frost. <laughs> and uh, also joining us, the creator of The Edge, Mr. Marvin Wynn, is here as well. Welcome, sir. Good. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm uh, good. Thanks for being here, you guys. Uh, okay, so Heroinberg, let's start with you for just a second here because you and I have chatted back and forth on various different chat windows in the live streams of various different channels, and that's how yep. we connected. Mm -hmm. And then you sent me material for the stuff that you do. Yeah. And yep. Marvin, you've got uh, you've got some stuff that you sent me this week because Heroinberg connected me with you this this week to talk about your work. So let's start. And either of you can jump in on, on the beginning of this. Let's start with how you guys got started in comics. Because the indie comic scene, there are so many people that are doing this now and finding the opportunity to actually publish. Because you have a lot of people out there for so long, back in the 70s especially, but you know, earlier 60s, 70s, 80s, there were a lot of people that wanted to be in comics, but breaking into comics was a challenge. And now, these days, indie comics creators seem to be proliferating just everywhere you turn around. You can just throw a rock and hit three of them. So how did you guys get started, and how did it come about that you were actually able to publish? I mean, you've actually followed through, and you've got books out there. Do you want to go first? Yeah. So, so I, I think that, I mean, let me the answer the first part. So um, I started reading comics in the 80s, and I believe my first book was Captain America, which then led me into Avengers, led me into X-Men. 
but it wasn't until the 90s where I really got into um, collecting and keeping comics. I mean, it was it was a, a, a pastime before where I was picking up books from the local grocery stores on the spinner racks. So you had a limited number of options there. And then in the 90s, when you I discovered comic shops, didn't know those things existed until the 90s. So, I mean, it it came down to a point of when you had uh, Jim Lee and his cohorts formed Image. And that was, was a, a, a flip of the switch for me to say that there's different ways to do this. And maybe it's something that I could try. So I had I started writing scripts probably in '92. Uh, stuff wasn't very good, and I don't think it was until mid to like 2005 or 2006 until I found my stride and and actually wrote something that I liked. And I didn't really get down into uh, an artist really until I met uh, Mark Louis, and that was in I believe 2012. So from the '90s to 2012, just building 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 and then striking out and as far as the why there's been like an explosion you can you can give that all to the internet yeah uh, being able to reach out to artists editors uh inkers letters colorists around the world has opened doors for everyone to get into this into this game and try to and try out and see what they can do now the democratization of that uh, also could be a detriment because you have so many different people out there. How do you, you know, how do you separate and you know, find the good stuff? You talk about uh, Marvin when you're when you started out mm -hmm. writing and you said it wasn't very good. I'm sure everybody has got those stories in the bottom drawer that never is going to see the light of day. How for you? How did you know when? It's good enough. Let's put it out in the public. What was that? What was what was that moment where this where the switch got flipped for you? And you said, "This is this is something I want people to see." I think it's it's. I mean, when you when you um, become and start editing your own stuff, you realize what's good and what's not good for the most part, because you originally when I was writing it, you see you saw too much of other things. So it, it was, it, even though the books are influenced by the books in the 90s, it's not pulling directly from it. And I think that stuff that I was writing before was too directly pulling from X-Men or Wildcats or Stormwatch or Cyber Force and all those other books. It was too similar. Mm -hmm. So once you hit a hit your stride and hit and hit on something that resonates with you and not just what you've what you've known, and you block off that other stuff that you read before, and you say, "This is what this is good." And then when you turn it over some, to someone to read who doesn't know anything about comics or scripts, and they like it, then you know that you've got something going on. I mean, you always have to get a second set of eyes on something that you do. Even though I can, I have the ability to edit my own work, I still miss things, and and I and it's good to just to bounce it off another person just to make sure that it makes sense to them. And talking about uh, something similar but not, Heroinberg is the is almost um, I, I don't want to say a female Justice League, but you have primarily female superhero characters. It's almost like maybe an A Force type of of story. It's it's in fact more. Uh, uh, I would say it would be akin to uh, Fem Force, actually. Okay. Okay. So how did you get started with the getting into comics and and coming up with this idea? So um, I guess I come from a previous golden age of superheroes across all media, known as the 70s. Um, you know, the, the, uh, you've got the CW today, which, you know, I enjoy various uh, shows like Stargirl or I enjoy watching the boys. Uh, but uh, back in the 70s, there were tons of superhero shows. And uh, it was the first time that a lot of them had uh, female stars. You had Wonder Woman, Electra Woman. And and uh, Dinah Girl, Isis, Bionic Woman, even uh, uh, you know Colonel Deering from Buck Rogers, the Lady Pilots and Battlestar, etc. Right. So um, yeah, so just out of a, a spirit of uh, kind of uh, uh, honoring that, um, I started Heroinberg. But uh, yeah, my origins in the '70s include you know seeing Star Wars the week it came out, buying Star Wars number one by Carmine Infantino art the week oh, that yeah. came out. And then uh, following, uh, you know, I, I literally went to the newsstand. We had a newsstand down the street. Uh, uh, first, it was owned by Eddie for 40 years, and then it was owned by Mark for another 30, I guess. 
And, uh, you know, I'd uh, come in in third grade, say hi to Mark, get best baseball cards, get comics, uh, discovered uh, George Perez's uh, Teen Titans and read that whole Judas contract thing, um, discovered Carmine Infantino's Infantino's series on Dial H for Hero, uh, sent in a whole bunch of heroes. They never pu published any of them, but I realized in 1980, 81, that you could create your own uh, heroes and get them published, whether it was DC or not. Uh, shortly after that, uh, you know, high school and college, uh, there was the black and white explosion and the, in, the indie comics explosion then. Uh, I uh, uh, f uh, discovered comic shops uh, back then and, uh, uh, you know, bought titles uh, on First and Kamiko and Eclipse and, uh, uh, you know, discovered uh, AC Comics Femforce. Uh, and um, uh, what was going to say? Uh, yeah, so, so that showed that uh, back then, of course, there was no internet, but people, I was very um, uh, immersed in independent media culture in general. In other words, the idea that you could publish your own thing, whether it be a cassette, a record, a magazine, uh, a comic book, uh, all of that was happening uh, thanks to, you know, everything from the Xerox machine to record pressing plants. I was very into the music scene. Um, I was in the uh, 80s cassette culture, which was a scene of uh, issuing uh, cassette labels, uh, all over the world and people would trade and sell so uh you know back then you had to call you had to call people on the phone or send them uh physical correspondence and that's what all of these 80s comics people did you know whether it was uh the hernandez bros love and rockets or tmnt or um uh cerebus dave sim you know those were all and uh, those were all big books in the 80s uh so yeah i kind of uh, followed comics uh, uh very closely until the end of the 80s and then made a decision that I could not uh, purchase both comics and records at the same time. I uh, just couldn't afford it. So uh, I uh, stopped buying comics and kept following all the TV shows and movies instead, right? That started to come out uh, in the 90s, like Xena and things like that. Right. And uh, Dark Knight. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I was in the music scene and I still am. Uh, uh, I, had a, I had a record label and uh, put, uh, I actually promoted a lot of concerts uh, of touring bands. And so um, I'm very familiar with the idea just in general of contacting people all over the world by phone and by letters, right? So when the internet came on, that's just a new thing, right? Yeah. A new, faster and cheaper way of doing it. Um, heroin yeah, especially itself, since you're not paying the long distance bills anymore. Right? Uh, yeah, uh, the, 90, the, the long distance <laughs> bills in the 90s were pretty horrendous, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and there are people who are of an age that will have absolutely no idea what we're talking about. Uh, definitely. Hey, of, long distance call. Of an age, exactly. Yeah. So the the development of Heroinburg as a as a as a property, because I'm seeing, yeah. you know, you've got Marvin, you've got the edge, and I don't know if you have a web series attached to this, but Heroinburg is for a for a while there was this word called transmedia where there, where there was, you know, they were talking about it when, when Battlestar Galactica decided to do a, a connected web series. Yeah. That was the, that was the buzzword of the day. Transmedia, basically taking a franchise an intellectual property out of one medium and spreading it out over various different things that were all interconnected. We see this with Star Wars now with the comics and the novels and the movies and the TV, all of it is canon and is part of the thing. Uh, Star Trek, you yeah. have the novels and whatnot. And now I'm looking you know, with Heroinberg, you have not just the comic book, but you also have a web series that features these characters. Yes, it started out um, as as a web TV series first. In other words, when okay. I got back into comics, maybe around 2014, uh, let's let's uh, briefly attribute it maybe to the second image image explosion. You know, uh, books like Saga and Sex Criminals, which I don't read much anymore, but uh, I did at that time, right? So, you know, that got me back into the stores, and uh, I, I uh, already knew several of the uh, comic shop owners here. There's a lot of comic shops in Pittsburgh, by the way. Mm -hmm. So, so um, I got the idea uh, interning o uh, over the summer at uh, Pittsburgh Filmmakers, which is an independent uh, filmmakers organization in Pittsburgh, to do a, a live-action superhero series, and wrote a bunch of scripts, and then started. Uh, filming them. So as a, as, as a web TV show, uh, Heroinberg now has uh, 19 episodes that have uh, occurred over two seasons over the past three and a half years. 
And uh, right now we're, we're, we're in post-production on our 20th episode. Uh, so yeah, it started out as a, as a web series and um, I was pretty much in charge of everything uh, from directing to writing to uh, uh, location uh, scouting to uh, making the costumes, you know, and, and I hired uh, people out who have been very, very uh, uh, helpful to, to uh, you know, help us sew the costumes or to build our website. Andy makes our website. He's an amazing uh, webmaster, as you can see from the front page there of the website. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, I would say we have about uh, 30, 30 or so uh, heroines and villainesses, and then maybe another 50 or 60 actors doing other parts. And, uh, you know, uh, we have a handful of camera people. Marvin sometimes works second camera. And, uh, yeah, so that went on for a couple years. And we started to promote it uh, worldwide um, as physical, you know, as uh, uh, digital downloads from, uh, from the web. People were ordering them uh, all over the world, especially in Europe, actually. We, had a lot, we have a lot of fans there. And um, I decided uh, about two and a half years in, three years in, to turn it into a comic book series. And so the comic book series itself is uh, based on the video series. It shows uh, stories that happen in and around the episodes. Uh, so they're actually new stories. Uh, they make allusions, of course, to the, to the episodes, but they're new stories in, in themselves. And what you're seeing as far as all of these uh, drawings, and these ones are done by Jason Wright, by the way, who is a good friend of mine who works for DC Comics. He just finished coloring uh, the Metal Men series. Um, uh, what you're seeing there are actual renderings of pretty much of the actresses as they look in their costumes. So, um, <coughs> so uh, yeah, the way the comics look is uh, dependent on on the video series since the video yeah. series started first, and uh, these uh, ladies are full time are are, are actresses. Um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know most of them are amateurs. Uh, some a couple are professionals. Uh, they come from the music scene. Uh, the comedy improv scene, the theater, the amateur theater scene. A couple of them are burlesque dancers or belly dancers. Uh, a couple are cosplayers. So um, yeah, they are the actual actresses who play the character. So you know when they when they uh, uh, appear with us at local uh, comic cons, it's like meeting uh, Chris Evans or Scarlett Johansson, but you know not as famous, right? Because they're right. Not, they're not just cosplayers; they're the actual. Uh, actors uh who, who do the parts and marvin you've been involved in this project how did how did you two get connected and then and then tell me a little bit more about the edge here Go so for it, i think uh Aaron Bar, did you find me on facebook yeah Is but that- uh, i think what i did was i think i saw your comic at phantom of the attic which is okay. one of our favorite local lcs's and i think Maybe I asked about it or looked look looked around about it, and then mm-hmm. uh, we wound up meeting at a coffee house literally across the street from that comic shop. And yeah, go ahead. Right, and then and then legends were born. Legends were yes, <laughs> yes. Hijinks ensued. Yes, yes. And then things happened. Yeah. So, so, Mark, so how did the, how did the edge get started here? What's the backstory on this? Uh, so I mean, like I said, I was saying before, is that this is. Uh, pretty much a love letter back to the books that uh, I liked in the 90s and my artist Mark Louis liked in the 90s, uh, your X-Men and Wildcats and things like that. It's it's a sprawling story. So it starts with this drug that's called The Edge that uh, only one of the characters is, is, a, is fully aware of it. But what it does is it gives you these amazing abilities that they have absolutely no control over. But the more you use those abilities, the closer it brings you to death. So first you get the powers, you use them, you get infected, and then it's downhill from there. So our our lead villain in the first part is the character up front here with the dark hair is Revenant. He is a former assassin uh, for the for the United States. Um, like they have like their own division within the government. So he decides that he's going to go rogue and give out all the secrets of the edge. And his former handler, Tartable, decides that he's going to form a team to take him out. So uh, it's, it's pretty much a back and forth of them trying to get at Revenant and his ability to escape from them continuously. I'm seeing the artwork here. And the first thing that I'm thinking 
this looks a lot like early Liefeld. Are, are you guys drawing from influences specific or is this kind of just we've internalized all of the different ones that we like and we've come up with a style that maybe emulates the stuff out of the 90s or is this just kind of a natural progression of, of where the artwork lives? This is just pretty much a natural progression of where it is. If you um, uh, do you have that the PDF I sent? If you do, go yeah. through the PDF, um, you're, you you want to notice that like his uh, his style has that like an anime cartoony feel also, and that's that's emphasized uh, by by the colors. Yeah. So this is coming out. Is this out now? This is issue one. Yes, in, sto uh, in stores tomorrow. In stores tomorrow. Okay. All right. So uh, this actually looks. Uh, it it really does. It really does feel nineties. Nineties yeah. uh, image. Uh, I can I can definitely see that influence there. So when you when you guys are coming up with this stuff the the back and forth and the ideas for the characters and what kinds of stories you want to tell did you have anything in particular you sat there and said well all of these comic books are doing x we're going to pivot and do z are, are there are there conversations like that when you guys are figuring out what stories you want to tell i think so i think that we're we're trying to pivot away from what people are seeing in stores now with your your mainstream books. I mean, a lot of the indie books are are trying to do something different, and we wanted to take influence, but not copy what what the was doing before. But I mean, it, it's a it's a superhero book, yes, but it's a superhero book with a different a different twist on it, where we we don't want to we don't want you to get attached to all these characters because eventually they're probably going to get, get taken out. But we also well, want to have it and 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 tell you that. We we're not telling you who the bad guy or the good guy is. I mean, we the way it's set up is this: it doesn't look like that that Revenant's a bad guy or a good guy. It doesn't look like the team is are good or bad. It's just that on the fence, that gray area that we all deal with every day. With I don't know who this person is. I don't know if they're with me or against me or not. Are they are they with me now or going to be against me later? But it just and it's all about how we escalate the issue. So we we take it from that point and just keep pushing further and further. And just trying to challenge the the reader and the characters on what's going to happen next. And Heronberg, when you when you guys come up with stories on your end, is there is there that kind of discussion of what you want to avoid, or you just have your favorite types of stories to tell, or both? Yeah. So I would say um, our our if 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 Marvin's aesthetic is uh, '90s, and that's uh, awesome. Um, ours ours would be '80s, and so. Um, I like to see things that I haven't seen since the eighties in comic books. Uh, I like to see, uh, you know, bright colors. And, uh, I would say maybe some of uh, my influences would be George Perez on Teen Titans or John Byrne on She-Hulk. Um, uh, maybe a little Claremont X-Men, etc. And, uh, uh, sure. If, if we want to uh, distinguish ourselves, uh, besides saying that we're eighties and we're basically kind of like a Pittsburgh answer to femme force, right. Cause they are based in Orlando. We're based in Pittsburgh. I would also say that, um, um, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if other comics uh, do diversity one way, we want to do it uh, a different way. Okay. Um, if other comics, uh, present, uh, women in one way, we want to do it in a different way. If other comics use kind of fake base, their comics in fake cities or, uh, or fantasy stuff, uh, fantasy cities. Uh, we want to use uh, a, a, an almost real version of Pittsburgh as one of the characters. Um, I was kind of impressed. This is kind of a, a offhanded thing, but I was impressed uh, a couple years ago watching uh, Miraculous Ladybug, the cartoon on Nickelodeon, which is a superhero cartoon, and how much Paris was actually a character in the series. And they would go to the Louvre and the Eiffel Tower, all those things. So, you know, Pittsburgh, we use Pittsburgh in much the same way. And finally, another thing is, you know, these days, most comics are almost kind of Netflix, pre-Netflix deals, right? Like, when am I going to get my Netflix deal? Um, and uh, we did, uh, it, it, we're, we're doing the act, actual opposite. We, are, uh, we started with a, uh, our own uh, primitive DIY Netflix show and uh, went to comics instead. So you don't have to go one way. You can go the other. 
Now you mentioned you mentioned the website uh, or the web series, and you say primitive D DIY. Yes. Um, it's <laughs> it is uh, it's obviously low budget. I mean, you guys have yeah. have limited resources, just like everybody sure. else that does. What kind of challenges have you had in producing that series, and what kind of feedback do you get from people? Is this well, you know just you know. Andy Hardy putting on a show in the barn or is, has the feedback been fairly positive? What? Yeah, we, we've actually had a lot of good feedback. Um, so we've been compared to, um, I would say the first comparison might be the camp, the campiness of Electra woman and Dinah girl, but we've also been compared a lot to power Rangers and, uh, uh we've been compared to, uh, Roger Corman productions like black scorpion, which is a big, uh, um, uh, compliment, you know? And, uh, of course, like I said, everything from, Linda Carter to Lucy Lawless uh, kind of factors in here as well as, you know, some more recent shows. So, um, yeah, we've we've had uh, we have a steady uh, fan base of downloaders on the uh, on the uh, video side of things. And, uh, yeah, we've had several really uh, great comments uh, and and uh, and uh, and compliments. Um, one of our uh, biggest fans actually is uh, Jesse Milestone of Mindless Entertainment. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was very nice to uh to do uh with us so she's doing another one with us coming up streams with the heroines themselves so normally you know it's just us talking about the series but on her show i would say maybe once a year we get a chance to actually have two or three ladies uh dress up uh, talk about not just them their characters but also you know their accomplishments as as people in pittsburgh and what they do you know they come from all walks of life to put on the spandex and capes so yeah so you guys have worked together on the series. You, the the stories, the books look like they're standalone. Or has has there been any discussion of a crossover? <laughs> Marvin, yes, go ahead. Well, first of no. all, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah, so Marvin, ahead. Marvin's already in in Heronburg, both as a second camera person, which he does an amazing job, and you'll see his camera work in the upcoming episode too, and. Um, uh, Marvin is a character in the series. He plays a criminal who may or may not survive a few more episodes. Uh, nonetheless, uh, yeah, so that's his his physical crossover as a human being into Heronburg is is that. But then in the comics, Marvin can tell you. So um, after issue four, uh, we decided to do uh, a gap book. So it's a story that takes place in, the, in, the, in between the gap between issue four and five that's going to take place in Pittsburgh. And our we all we have we have two characters named Drake, Mark Drake and Marcus Drake, that are going to meet. Total coincidence. Then, yeah. It was yes. when we found that out. We have two characters that are basically named Mark and Marcus Drake that we thought of independently of each other. <laughs> so, so not only is that character going to cross over, but two of the heroines are going to appear in the edge. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that sounds exciting. So how much, how much coordination do you guys have to do with something like that? Because you're playing in each other's sandbox. Are there, are there rules uh, for this kind of a collaboration? Have y'all said this is, this is, this we can do, this is off limits. We can do this. I mean, because the universes are probably not operating on the same set of parameters. Mm -hmm. You've got to figure all of that in. I guess it's, it's kind of, not necessarily like a Marvel DC crossover because they're competitors. You guys yeah. are are more, you know, collegial than than that would be. Sure. Uh, are there are there? How did you guys determine what it would look like? So we're we're actually still in motion on the creation of that book. I mean, I think we're halfway through to the page, on the pages on that. And it, it to me, it just it boils down to being respectful to the characters and saying that. Would your character do this? Would your character do that? Like, if you if your character was in this situation, what would they do? If your character was in another situation, what would they do? So, I mean, that's and that's one of the things that I do when I do with anything when I'm doing something with someone else's character. I want to be respectful to that character, and then we go over deals and say that. Uh, so, do, would you prefer your character to have a speaking role? Do you want them to just have a cameo appearance? Would it be on multiple pages? What kind of action is there, is it going to be in that? So. Um, I write all that stuff out and, and we, we just go from there. Yeah. Marvin will, would, would probably, when we get to that point, Marvin will just call me up and say, Hey, uh, can, uh, is it okay if I do this with, uh, X, uh, X, uh, X, uh, heroin. And I'll probably say, yeah, sure. And, uh, in, uh, also on my end of things, uh, 
uh, the character that uh, uh, Marvin plays in the series, uh, I let him uh, give him a name and a little bit of a backstory. So, <laughs> so we, yeah, we, uh, you know, we talk all the time. So there's, it's no problem communicating. It's very collegial, like you said. Are, are there challenges to finding those people that you want to collaborate with? Because, I mean, with, with as many people that are doing books now, uh, and especially you look at the Comicsgate movement and, and the people who identify with that group. Uh, there's a lot of crossover back and forth with talent, especially, especially on the side where they're actually, you know, sharing notes and consulting with each other. And uh, we've, we've learned this lesson, do this, not that. And everybody's helping each other out. Yeah. How much communication are you guys having with other indie creators just about the process involved? Do you want me to take that one first? Yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll add to it. So I, I we actually do have a group out uh, called the Indie Network where we do um, chat with multiple different groups of people. I mean, we do it on the streams also where we're just chatting back and forth. And like later later this year, what I, I want to do is, is do some kind of seminar with Indie creators because there's a lot of times where I get into a block and i have to talk to someone else to, to help work out work through it or work out of it so i mean collaboration and communication is the key to in the, to our community i mean if we if we don't then we all fail i mean like you said that what is it um one of us raises up we have to raise everyone else up with us we can't just just left somebody on the side and that that's what the community is always going to be about is is not only doing for ourselves, but then taking those lessons that we've learned and filtering them down and make sure that people don't make the same mistakes. And how much, uh, how big is that group that you're talking with? Does that continue to grow or are you just kind of keeping it limited to just a certain number of people that you've had direct contact with? Right. I mean, it's limited right now. I think we've got 60 members right now. But I mean, it's I'm planning to open it up to, to everyone pretty soon. I mean, it's just these are people that I've been talking with for years on uh, Twitter, Facebook and other places. So these are the ones that I respect and that I trust and to bring them into the group. And then they bring in people that they know. So it's just it's just something that's going to blossom pretty soon. I would say. Right. Now, the Heroinberg books look like they're more anthologies where you've got several different story threads going through, peppering through. So I would imagine you're finding a lot of talent at various different levels of skill and you're bringing you're bringing a lot of people in. Is it is it a, how much of a challenge is it to make that get that combination of creators together, teaming up? writers and artists for this particular story or is that something that you just decide this you you assign that or everybody is kind of growing into it organically and figuring out who they want to work with well i am the writer actually um but yes we do have different artists and we have people doing pinups as well um and there is a very specific parameter which i don't think anybody else is using so this makes us unique in yet another way all of our creators are from Pittsburgh, whether you talk about the actors uh, or the um, camera people or the uh, the artists on the comic, uh, the webmaster, everybody is from Pittsburgh. I have not had to actually source anybody outside of town yet, and I uh, will continue to try to keep everything uh, in, in town as far as the actual creative process. Um, but like you said, um, you know, there's we do ton a ton of networking um, and uh, link all over the world to various uh, uh, creators and other comic book companies uh, as well. So um, and uh, uh, yeah, our our uh, our cover artist Jason Wright, um, he uh, works for DC Comics. So you know, he's obviously one of the big uh, connections outside of town, um, but he lives here. And uh, like I said, he uh, he colored uh, Shane Davis on Metal Men, and uh, and uh, he colored uh, Hal Jordan. Um, so he's got a long history in comics. And um, but otherwise than that, uh, yeah, I mean, one of uh, one of one of the guys that did a pinup for us is also a DC artist, uh, mainly from the 80s and 90s. He's a character caricature artist in Pittsburgh now. His name is Howard Bender. You'll find him on stuff like Superman and Ghostbusters from the 80s. But um, yeah, um, everybody's from Pittsburgh, so uh, that's the main thing is we keep it all in-house. And uh, 
they're easy to find because if you know if uh, I have to uh, consult with them, I call them on the phone or I go over their house and uh, work on stuff together. Um, just like uh, just like with Marvin, really. Right now, the one thing you know, you're talking about, Marvin mentioned everything being on the internet now, where now you have those opportunities to coordinate with people all over the world. Yes. And it, it, it would seem to me that that presents some opportunities to connect with creators. Is there a particular reason why you want to keep it just to Pittsburgh? Um, that it, it, it just kind of uh, evolved from there. Um, uh, again, I'm, I'm from a time before the Internet, and I'm just used to, um, uh, you know, physical uh, contact and uh, things being close. So um that's just count i guess from the beginning uh, i i thought yeah sure let's let's try to keep it all in-house in pittsburgh uh, i basically found uh i found uh, artists that uh, that uh, that uh didn't have a whole lot of stuff out in other words they weren't like the obvious known ones from pittsburgh but they were super creative uh, another one of our artists is wayne brown um he's known for having uh, drawn the entire series uh, of a book called Like Father, Like Daughter, which is kind of like a cross between Stargirl meets Invincible. It's written by Kat Kalamia from New York, uh, who is a popular uh, 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 comic book YouTuber as well. But um, yeah, it was um, it was just an idea of uh, if it's going to be called Heroinburg, I'd like to keep it uh, local and, uh, and involved with as many Pittsburgh people as possible. Uh, so there was no... Uh, overarching reason for it it was just, just a, a matter of uh comfort and uh, and uh, proximity i would say right marvin are you collaborating just with pittsburgh uh creators or no, he's... i i got people from outside the country yeah. uh and inside the country on um it seems like there's a lot of that where you know you have all of those connections being made especially with these these projects that are going to indiegogo uh, the mm -hmm. crowdfund project. So let me let me pivot to that here for a second because ha have have either of you done any of that yet? Um, should I start, Marvin? Yes, go ahead. Cool. So no, I haven't, and I have a very specific reason for not doing it. Um, I figured out a different way to do it instead, which I don't think. Again, another way we may be almost unique because I've only heard of a couple other people doing this uh, currently at all. Um, no crowdfunding. Um, these books are paid for by myself uh, and and uh, so far. And the way um, these books are getting out is uh, that um, uh, I guess when the uh, I guess I should maybe tell a little bit of the story. So there is a there is a Facebook page um, called the Plan C uh, Distribution Network, and uh, it was founded by a woman named Jen King who owns a comic shop. Uh, uh, in Texas, and now she uh, co-runs the comic book shopping network and also a YouTube channel called the EXP. So Jen's idea was that uh, during the uh, the diamond shutdown and the COVID problems, uh, creators and retailers would network through this one uh, page called Plan C, and over 120 uh, retailers were on that. I think even maybe even more. And a lot of creators started posting their stuff. So <coughs> even when, uh, excuse me. All right. <coughs> no, no, I need to drink here. <laughs> even when Diamond was down, uh, they were able to connect indie creators to stores. And um, indie creators would sell their books directly to the stores. This gave me the idea to do this, and uh, I just started calling up comic shops. So I started with the ones that were subscribed to the network, and then I went uh, a little wider, went all over North America and a couple overseas. So uh, calling about 500 shops, I got about 120 to take the book. So uh, we created our own DIY diamond. Remember, I'm super DIY, and I'm used to doing this since the 80s. Writing, calling, doing whatever you have to do to book a band, to uh, mm -hmm. mail mail a postcard, whatever it is. So that's what I did. I booked a tour for for Heroinburg and got got the the ladies into uh, over 120 stores. Uh, both issues, at number one and number two, are in a uh, a list of stores that's listed on the website. People can, of course, uh, order it directly from the site as well. 
So um, eventually I'd like to do a crowdfund, but the way I, uh, you know, devise this, it's not necessary to do one anytime soon. Um, and uh, yeah, people find that to be, they're like, oh, you're not, you're not on, uh, on, on, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not yet. Um, I don't really know if, uh, if we could, uh, we could uh, run one successfully yet. And I'd rather do it this way first. Yeah. Um, once, of course, once the, um, you know, books get into stores, we uh, need to help promote them. Right. So, you know, we do a lot of, um, you know, media uh, stuff like articles and YouTube uh, channels, but also, um, I send uh, some promotional stuff to the store. I send them a thumb drive with the episodes if they want to play it on their local on on their televisions there. Um, I send them uh, posters and I uh, make sure that Jason signs some of the books, you know, so that they increase a little bit in value that way. So uh, yeah, for right now, I'm doing direct to, direct sales to stores, and eventually we'll do some sort of crowdfund, maybe as a collection down the line. Um, maybe for issue number three, but, uh, right now for issues number one and two, uh, we're out there in stores. And Marvin, are you, are you looking at the crowdfunding model at all? Have you, have you looked into that? Have you made any decisions toward that? Well, yeah, we were, we were planning to do the trade, uh, the trades on crowdfunding, but since we, we're shipping to diamond, like shipping to diamond and get in the stores, it has to be different than what's going to the store. So we're planning to have extra pages in each trade in different covers. How much of an issue has it been dealing with Diamond? I've heard horror stories. I've heard, I mean, Peter Samitty has has said on a number of occasions the troubles that he's had with Diamond as a small publisher, you know, not, not DC or Marvel. Yeah. Uh, his footprint is not large enough that he matters to them, so he's right. not doing any business with them. Have you had issues with Diamond at this point? I think just the just getting into the catalog itself is a challenge. I mean, yeah. they they reject a lot of lot of books, and they could drop it if it if it drops under a certain number. But I think that at certain times, it's a, it might be a necessary evil to to use a, such a service because some of these stores will outright refuse to even talk to you if you're not in the catalog. Right. So I think that. In some in, in certain cases, it's a good idea to get into that catalog, get into the stores, and then build a relationship with the retailers. And then you may you may want to cut the cord and say yeah. that now that we now that we're in your stores and you're familiar with us and you see your, our books are selling, now we can go direct through direct to you. Right. Have you had conversations with the other two, uh, Lunar and what's the other one now? L uh, um, LCS? Uh, UCS. 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 I, I don't think UCS is doing books anymore. They've just been more or less looking because I, I am on their channel. So it looks like they're just doing back issues. Okay. So Lunar, um, I know they signed a deal with um, SourcePoint. So they may be opening up the door to for other um, for other publishers to get in to get in with them. But I mean, it just seems like everything is a work in progress now. And with with uh, the shifting with Diamond and everything, we we just don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. So it, it's just to our benefit to promote as much as we can, get in front of the retailers, get in front of the customers, and say that like we, we're viable and we when we're an option to those other things that you might not want to look at. Now, what about uh, what about printing and fulfilling? Because if you've got uh, if you've got Diamond, for example, as a distributor, or uh, in in the case of Heroinberg, you're going direct. You have to be able to print enough books to satisfy whatever requirements are for your distribution. Is that uh, is that an easy thing to set up? Are you guys doing print on demand as as orders come in, and then you roll things out, or are you having to print books ahead of time and just Hope for the best. Yeah. So, um, go ahead. Yeah, you're good. Go ahead. Should I start? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Marvin. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, yeah, you mentioned, um, uh, Peter Samedi. Um, one of the reasons we started going direct, uh, about a year ago was because, um, we had submitted to Samedi and, uh, thought he was going to have a distro in place and it, it hasn't happened yet. So, you know, we decided just not to wait. Um, he's a great guy, obviously, but, uh, you know, he would have to hire a, a considerable amount of employees to make that dream a reality, right? So, 
you know, when it happens, it happens. It'll, it'll be great, and we have our submission in. But in the now you're talking about this. This is alternative distribution. Alter, alternative distro, which uh, hasn't yeah. happened. So um, you were talking about print on demand. Yes, I would call it print on demand is what we do. But guess where we print our books? <laughs> Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yeah. Right. Just like everything else. So it's pretty easy to demand that they get printed when you can, uh, you know, just call up uh, the local print shop and get them done. Um, in fact, uh, the print shop that I print them at is a, a place that I work for uh, uh, part time uh, doing some jobs for them. Um, so, you know, we have a very good rapport and communicative uh, thing. And if I ask for, uh, you know, uh, a run of books, they'll get it to me within a week. So that's really easy. No no waiting for stuff to get shipped from China or anywhere else. Uh, we do it all here. So, yeah. Does that, uh, does that price get affected by how many you run? I mean, you, you yeah. have kind of a unique set of circumstances there. Yeah. It's higher price. Okay. It's higher price. It's smaller runs. So, I mean, obviously we can't, uh, uh sell our books at, um, of course, you know, Marvel and DC are jacking up their prices too. So they're almost at, at I mean, if we sell a book at $6.99, it's almost like Marvel and DC are very close to attaining that uh, absurd price anyway, right? But mm. yeah, I mean, our books go in stores for seven or eight. Uh, and the, at the small, uh, at the small uh, quantities we make, you know, they're pretty much made for slightly under four bucks a piece. So yeah. Marvin, what about you? Is, uh, are you having uh, difficulties or is it fairly easy for you to have the books ready to go when when they sell, when they get distributed? With Diamond says, all right, we need 5,000 of these. Can you just load them in a box and, and send them? Yeah. I mean, I think I think it, it's, I mean, with with the way printer printers are now, where you have those two options of the offset and the print on demand. And the print on demand option is is flourishing now because you like in the most cases you can't tell the difference um, mm -hmm. between the printing styles now. Like you've got Kablam, Kablam out there, and then they also have their their Indie Planet store backing up their printing their printing works. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but the difference is is that with the print on demand, you're generally not going to get that price break if you print more books than you do with Offset. So yeah. with the offset option, you're pretty much getting your printing your uh, the more you print, the more the the cheaper it is. So you can pretty much get your prints for almost a, like a dollar dollar fifty almost. Well, and I've got uh, I've got a copy here of Heroinberg number two, and and the quality on the printing this is this is pretty impressive. I mean, you're you're on glossy pages. I mean, it does. It does bring to mind the you know the days of image you know back in the '90s and, and such, but you've got uh, glossy pages all the way through here. Yeah, it's like an have, '80s book. It's like an '80s book printed on '90s paper. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> have you have you had have you had any discussions about doing newsprint to kind of bring your costs down a little bit, or has that is that not an option where you are? Uh, it's just really so much easier to do it the way we're doing it with what you're holding in your hand. And yeah. it really looks so much better anyway that, uh, I mean, think about it. Like, you know, like I said, you know, at this point, like a lot of these mass produced books are almost at that price anyway, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and, uh, we're still a lot cheaper than your average crowdfunded book is. So, uh, you know, kind of taking the middle ground there and, uh, yeah, I'd like to keep it as high quality as possible, um, I, I like the fact that a, a, a company like Alterna uses newsprint. That's a pretty cool idea, though. And uh, I do love the idea of newsprint comics, and I have a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next for the two of you? Where We've got uh, uh, The Edge and, and Heroinberg issues number what? What's, what's coming out for the two of you next? Me first? Yeah. Okay. So issue two of the edge is slated to be in the May previews. We are right now finishing up issue 14 of the edge uh, and also uh, two gap books and then the, um, the sad story with Revenant. So we're pretty far ahead. So after issue two is solicited, we're going to be going bi-monthly with the book. So it'll, it'll be coming out faster. All right. And for Heroinberg, what, where are you going next for this? 
Well, uh, the, the uh, thing that we have out right now, which is available, is the second issue that you hold in your hand, number two. Mm -hmm. um, that is available, as I said, in uh, almost 120 stores uh, across North America, and as well, a direct order from our website. Um, it's not like Kickstarter or Indiegogo, where you have to fill out a bunch of information. You literally just click one button, and uh, you can order a, a copy. Um, uh, it's uh, $9.99, uh, including postage. Uh, so, you know, slightly more than in the stores, but m very convenient. Um, but we do uh, encourage everybody to look at our, uh, the comic book shop list on our website. And if you're near somewhere that uh, sells it, uh, go and support your LCS by all means. Um, and uh, on the video side of things, uh, uh, our newest episodes, which are out, are the two-part uh, episode 18. Um, it's in two parts. It's a, uh, an hour long, so people get it in half-hour chunks. And uh, uh, the current episode that is in production, I'm actually going to be seeing the raw cut for it tomorrow, which means uh, all the edits, including uh, Foley, soundtrack, and effects. So, uh, you know, if, it, if most of it uh, gets the seal of approval tomorrow, I'm... Uh, thinking that we're going to have episode 19 out and available for download by mid-April, and uh, we will be able to announce it on all of our channels. All right, and we just put the uh, link to the YouTube channel in the chat for anybody who wants to check that out. Oh, the YouTube channel itself, yeah. yeah. Um, the YouTube channel, it does not have the episodes. Remember, you have to download them from the website, but the YouTube right. channel does have hundreds and hundreds of outtakes and clips, uh, characters inter in introducing themselves. Um, it has um, um, the uh, uh, Heronberg number two intro, which uh, our character Vendetta talks about uh, on, on the video. And we also have, uh, this is something Marvin and I collaborated on together as well. We have a series on um, the YouTube channel called Comicsburg. And what that does is that highlights and spotlights uh, local comics creators and comics shops. And if you look on the YouTube channel under the title Comicsburg, you'll find six episodes of that so far. Uh, the newest one is actually an interview with a local um, comics creator, Grant Lankard, who currently has a Kickstarter for a book called Beowulf. And uh, we also inter interview some of our own creators, uh, like Wayne and, and Marcel are interviewed in, in that series as well. And uh, we talked to several stores. We talked to Geekadrome and Heroes Inc. And eventually we'll probably do interviews with Phantom and New Dimension as well. Okay. Well, uh, good luck with all of that. And where, Marvin, can, where, where can everybody find uh, your stuff online? Let's start, uh, let's start with you on, on links and such. I am, um, the website is theedgecomic.com, which will take you to, of course, our Facebook page. Mm -hmm. On Twitter, I am at Marvin Wynn. On Instagram, I am at The Edge Comic. All right. And uh, Heronberg, where would we find everything that uh, that you've got going? Okay. Well, you're right now you're showing the website, heroinberg.com, and that's where you uh, download the videos and you can order the comic with a button click. Um, we have uh, Facebook. Uh, DeviantArt and YouTube, uh, all under the name Heroinberg, and we have a Twitter which is under Heroinberg One. But uh, <laughs> if you search for it, it'll just come up anyway. <laughs> now, have you guys had uh, good luck with using social media for marketing these books? Is that something that has has been part of the mix? Or are you just relying on word of mouth or phone calls, or how are you, how are you telling people that these books exist? I think we're going to do the whole entire gamut of everything, whatever, whatever we feel like is working. So we're doing the social media, we're calling stores, we're emailing stores. I mean, I, I'm sending uh, promotional packages to stores. So whatever, whatever works is, is going to work for us. And we're just going to do everything we can. So, so I'm very eighties as uh, we know. So yeah. Um, all the internet is important and works, uh, you know, well as, as, uh, as a package to help us get our uh, word out there. But I think the, the most progress is always done when it's person to person in real time, either at a comic convention and uh, Marvin and I and several other creators share tables at conventions. We're going to be, uh, you know, uh, coming up, we're going to be appearing at uh, Three Rivers Con on May 22nd and 23rd. 
in uh, Homestead, which is right outside of Pittsburgh. So yeah, person to person um, uh, at conventions, which is why we really want to get back to those, you know, and uh, also, of course, uh, on the phone um, or live like we're doing to you. Um, the easiest way to uh, sell a comic book is to talk to uh, someone on the phone uh, at a comic shop and and say, hey, did you uh, see the email? Do you like uh, this art? Uh, uh, do you want this? Do you want that? And then, you know, they say yes or no. But uh, I think, uh, yeah, person to person in real time is always the best, period. Right. All right. So Three Rivers is coming up for for conventions. Are you hearing chatter that uh, stuff around your area is starting to open up to allow for more of that? I know Three Rivers is going to be outside. Uh, are there other events that are trying to uh, get back up and running uh, yes. in, in the Pittsburgh area right yet? Yeah, I can talk about this a little bit based on see. What, what goes on is based on the capacity that uh, the state of Pennsylvania, at least, allows, right? So, yeah. the re, the re, uh, so there, were, there, were, there was a convention that ha, uh, called Steel City that had to cancel several times. Their most recent cancellation was April, moved it to June. This is all based on capacity. If, uh, if you do a convention outside in tents like Three Rivers is doing, uh, you can uh, do it more easily. But if you're inside a building... You can't hold a convention unless the, your state tells you anything less than 100%. So at the point where uh, Governor Tom Wolf uh, declares 100%, that's where everything is starting to happen. The stuff that was supposed to happen in the spring was all pushed to the late summer or fall because of that. And I think what the con organizers are banking on uh, is the 100% capacity. We signed up and paid for a con in, in September in Morgantown, West Virginia, and uh, what they said on their website, in fact, is that West Virginia has told us that it's 100% capacity. So that's the real key. Uh, you have to uh, be able to uh, to go back to normal, essentially. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully. Marvin, anything you want to add to that? Oh, no, that was good. <laughs> okay. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get back to some semblance of normal before the, the end of the year. We still continue to do our... Uh, our school closings cards uh, as we do our reports on schedule changes. It, it, uh, it, it hasn't stopped. We started March 15th, 2020 when all of this started up again and, and it just continues. Hopefully this year we're going to start seeing conventions actually get back to that because if, if we get back to, you know, hundred percent capacity, like you're talking about, uh, that's going to open things up quite a bit, but there's still going to be people that are not going to want to get out into the crowds so maybe maybe virtual stuff is going to be a part of that as well. So uh, there might be opportunities for some indie comics panels uh, for you guys to participate in online still uh, as as the year progresses. So, yeah, we've done it. We've done a couple of those, right, Marvin? Uh, yeah, yeah, those were fun. Yeah, no matter what, though, uh, as long as there's school closings, there's going to be no morning kindergarten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you very much for being here today. We do appreciate uh, we do appreciate you stopping in and, and talking with us. And uh, those of you, we're gonna we're gonna put you guys back in the green room. We got some things to follow up on uh, after the show, so stand by there. And those of you who are watching here, thanks very much for being here and being part of the conversation. This week we will have a new Tardis sauce conversation. Hopefully, talking about further. Further conversation about Torchwood. That is not going to be on Friday. We're going to try to drop it on Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern. And then last night, we had our discussion of the Snyder Cut on the H2O podcast, so feel free to check that out. If you are new to the channel, uh, we do invite you to subscribe. Have your notifications turned on. We have seven programs in production here at Sci-Fi For Me TV. We do think that you might find at least one that you like. Uh, and uh, on your way out, if you would, consider giving us a little bit of a thumbs up there and uh, share the links to any of the videos that you enjoy. And we do invite your feedback. We've got an email address live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com. Or you can leave a comment and we will be back to do this tomorrow. Judah Engelmeyer will be here. He's been on the Ranker Pit a couple of times talking about uh, what's been going on with Star Wars and uh, the PR woes that they've had but we're going to expand that conversation to look at other companies 
that are having to deal with similar situations. So he'll be here tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern. We do invite you to join us for that. And that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for watching, folks. We will be back with more later. Don't forget, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And there are always four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.